Today on the show, we're talking about living below your means. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney, I'm joined with Trevor, and thank you so much for being here with us this week as we talk about the concept of living below your means. So Trevor, we on the podcast, we're, we're such advocates of the concept of living below your means, and it is really what our podcast is really founded in, but why haven't we done an episode on this yet? Well, it's a really good topic. I mean, if you want to be successful at personal finance, you need to live within your means. But if you want to win at personal finance, win at financial independence, you need to learn to live below your means. So before um, I really define this concept, uh, one of the authors that we're focusing on today, is not, his name is Bob Lochick, and he wrote an article called Living Beneath Your Means, The Foundation of Financial Independence. And I really like that he emphasized the foundational aspect that living below your means really is. Yeah, living b- below your means is the only path to financial independence. There is no other way there. Uh, I know we've mentioned Mr. Money Mustache on this podcast many times, and he has a formula that, you know, if you, he has, he has a graph and it shows you how quickly you can achieve financial independence based on the percentage of your income you're able to save, which represents the amount of below your means that you're living. So there's no shortage of of proof on on how this will get you to financial independence, but it, it is the key. So Bob in his article, and by the way, uh, Bob's article is from the Huffington Post, and he says that the idea of living below your means is a simple concept and almost an old school concept that he says, quote unquote, is generally ignored in, in place of maybe other nicer technical looking applications or ideas. So why is something so basic just and rudimentally the the essentials of personal finance just kind of skipped over sometimes well before credit was so readily available if you go back a generation credit was really just for buying houses so when they when he says old school i think he's talking about when when credit wasn't so easily accessed by people for for just consumer purchases not buying assets that actually appreciate in value so old school is this is how everyone used to have to do it. There was no other option. In a way, the idea of living below your means can almost be equated to an, an eating in general in that the the market has kind of shifted into a money-making machine in that we all know the simple formula to to eat and, and, and not gain weight and, and that's just to consume consume less food. And in the way, spending money can be viewed in the same way. But I think the 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 market, the eating market, it's a profit churning business in that there's apps and books and, and programs to try to complicate eating. And is can can this personal finance phenomenon be seen in the same way? Well, I like your analogy between, you know, food and weight gain and you know, living uh, uh, beyond your means and, and being in debt. I get the connection. And you make it sound like it's obvious, but there's a lot of overweight people in our society who who, who either, they, they, they have the general knowledge, like you described, you know, 
eat less food or eat better food, but they lack the discipline, the willpower. I mean, that's the missing ingredient. The knowledge usually isn't the lacking piece. It's the willpower or the discipline that's missing. Could the idea of simply spending less than you earn as fixing the maybe the debt problem that many countries have it, it doesn't seem like a glamour solution it just it just seems very basic very black and white and could that be one of the reasons that is not it's not this flashy solution well it's definitely not glamorous and it it looks like deprivation to a, to a lot of people i think in, to succeed at living below your means you need goals you need dreams and you need discipline. I mean, those three elements are going to get you there. Just to live below your means as just, you know, being different, I, I don't think it's sustainable for a lot of people. There's our society with marketing that we have in front of us. The temptations that, that are in front of us are, are made to play on our emotions. And we're just overrun. I mean, I, mean, I fall victim to stuff. Also, I mention this all the time, electronic gadgets. Every time I see a commercial, I, I, I get weak. So it, it's all about discipline. And I, I think in, in a single word, discipline is going to be the thing that, see, motivation comes and goes, right? But, but discipline, if you develop it, you can always count on it. It will always be there. And that's, when, that's what's going to keep you living below your means. But more than, I think, discipline, I think it's a whole thought process change, which we will talk about later. But I, I really think that it, it goes deeper than just de- just developing discipline for this. I, I really do think it's rooted in behavioral and thought process changes. Well, it, it is behavioral. It's all behavioral. Like discipline, you know, a, a strong discipline is a modified behavior. So it, it, it really comes down to that. I can't stress enough that motivation, like we talk about setting goals. Those goals are, are, are achieved. They're, they're motivators, but it's going to be your daily discipline that gets you to those goals. Motivation is going to maybe make you create and set those goals, but discipline is what's going to keep you, it's going to get you there. So I want to jump into kind of a definition for living within your means. And I, I maybe we'll start off first by uh, you before said living within your means and living below your means. So I'm going to drop the definition that uh, Latoya Irby ha- includes in um, in the article entitled "How to Successfully Live Within Your Means," and it's defined as to live within your means means that what you spend each month is less than or at least equal to the amount of money you bring in each month. So. I like the distinction you made earlier earlier about living below your means as opposed to within. So what's the difference? Well, this definition is perfect because living within your means is you're not spending more than you earn or you're spending as much as you earn. So you're not going in debt. So that is a great start. And and that, that will sustain you, uh, but there's no goals, aspirations, or dreams in that plan. I want to jump on to talking about, I mean, this whole episode is dedicated to talking about living below your means or within your means, but let's first talk about the opposite. So living above your means. And Latoya Irby in, in the article states that 
credit cards, loans, savings, and even emergency funds allows you to buy more things than your income would allow. So and this in and this in my view really sums up what living above your means includes. You know, people try to buy things they can't afford in an effort to display wealth. A lot of times. I'm not saying everybody is that, but a lot of people will spend more money than they earn to put up a facade of of an image that I'm maybe wealthier than I am. And people can't see that you're in debt to, to achieve that, but it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out. Now, the, I, I was talking about this thing about focus. So if somebody puts all their money into a nice car and that's what they channel all their energy, all their finances into that, that's not a facade. That's a focused person who really enjoys cars. And so long they're not trying to do everything and spend, you know, that same amount of money on every aspect of their life, it works. But generally, people that, that appear to have everything, they're doing it with debt. I mean, that, that the math has, the, the math generally doesn't work out if you, if you uh, make assumptions about a particular person's uh, life that you, you see. If you can't make sense of it, if you can't say, gee, how do they do that? Chances are they're doing it with credit. If you had to take a guess, what what percentage of people would you say in Canada are are living a life they can't afford? So living a life that's above their means. That's a tough one. I mean, so we quoted a statistic on here in in Canada: for every dollar earned, a dollar sixty five is owed. Well, some of that is on on houses, which appreciate in value and and are, are great wealth building tools. So. It is really hard to say. It's because I'm, I'm just thinking. There are a lot of nice cars on the road. There are a lot of nice homes. And do all can all those people who drive those nice cars and live those nice homes afford those things? Well, you know, if a if a doctor or a lawyer is living in my neighborhood and driving two really nice cars and and, and lives in right here, they're living well below their means. I, I might not know they're a doctor or a lawyer, but they're they'd be living well below their means if they lived here. And if I lived in the neighborhoods that typical doctors and lawyers lived in, I'd be living above my means, but nobody would know that, right? If they didn't know what I did for a living. So it's really hard to tell. I mean, you're just guessing, really. No, that's a fabulous point. And I actually, I'm glad you brought up the, even where you live in your environment, because that's a very important point to talk about when we talk about living below your means and that it's not just the possessions you own, but it's it's everything else that, that surrounds what you own as well and and it really is where you live i think i mean we've talked before about how big of a role that plays well it it becomes your point of reference and so if you're if you bought a house in a neighborhood where you you could just afford that house i mean it was just a little it it kind of extended yourself to your max so you're 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 living just within your means to to buy this house in a neighborhood that's very upscale the problem with that is, okay, so you can afford the house, but once you live in that neighborhood, your point of reference on what's a suitable car to drive is has com- completely changed. You know, you everyone has a Lexus or a Infiniti or a, a Cura. And in my neighborhood, everyone's got a Toyota, a Honda, and a Nissan. So it, it, and then 
all the kids in that neighborhood, they're going to, you know, when they go on vacation, it's going to be on a, on a, a plane somewhere, you know, a, an international vacation. So your vacation as a point of reference is probably going to be, you know, unless we went, you know, to Europe, we really didn't go on vacation this year. So if you, if you live within your means, chances are some aspect of your life is going to be beyond your means. And and that really follows along with the idea that you are the average of your 10 closest friends or the 10 closest people you surround yourself with. Well, I've, I've heard it say the, the, you're the average of the five people you're around, but 10 is probably even a better sample size, but it, it really does. I mean, if you keep company with people that's, you know, drive high end cars and, and, and live in large houses and, and go on extreme vacations, that you're, you're going to look like a failure in comparison in, in your own mind. And I like that you mentioned in your own mind because when it comes down to living above your means, do you think if, if, if every individual stopped and really did some self-reflection, would the root of every single decision made that put someone living to live above their means, do you think that would be influenced by external factors and that maybe even subconsciously by, by people around them and, and almost what others were thinking of them? Do you think it's all because of one's exterior? Well, nobody's going to force you to spend money that you don't want to spend. So it, it, it all becomes an internal decision and in, internal perception that's driving all of this. It's not somebody saying, hey, your car, you need to have a nicer car to live in this neighborhood nobody's saying that to you you're saying that to yourself uh, you know my car looks horrible in this neighborhood i should get a new one so it, it it is all internal internally driven it's your own uh, measurement of yourself you're judging yourself when you make these decisions but when you do have that internal dialogue do you think it is ever motivated strictly by one's own inner self oneself saying oh i need a nicer car oh i need a nicer this or that but that I, I that that style of talk has to come from somewhere. I don't even think it's a conversation in your head. It's just y- you look at your car, and all the cars you've seen all day long were higher end cars than yours or newer than yours. So it's just a subconscious thing. It's not even conscious decision making. It's just you keep reminding yourself subconsciously that you have an old, worn out car. So you're saying that. It's not even, you're saying that we're all susceptible to having these subconscious thoughts, regardless of the environment we maybe live in, in in that unless we live in a little bubble and we don't see anyone else, we are going to feel maybe feelings of inferiority if we aren't confident in who we are. You know, I read a thing, an article in, in a magazine, and it was said the the fastest way out of the middle class rat race is to temporarily live in a lower class lifestyle. So wholeheartedly, not just on the fringe, don't just play on the edges. You, you sell your house, you move to a, uh, a lower class neighborhood, you, you, you immerse yourself in that culture, but you keep your middle class job. And that is the fastest way out of the middle class rat race. 
I love that. And I love, I mean, we've, we've heard the middle-class rat race. That is, we've, that's a common saying, but it's so true because everyone is constantly trying to climb the rungs of the ladder to, to kind of work their way up. I mean, and you're right. The only way out is to really just remove yourself. I, and I love that. Well, as a society, we're, we're constantly trying to raise our, you know, whatever class you're in, you know, up, you know, they got lower middle class, middle class, upper middle class. You're always trying to rise to the class above you. That, that, that is our, our society's tendency is to do that. When really we should be looking the other way. You know, maybe, you know, if, you, if you're an upper middle class income, you should be looking at a lower middle class lifestyle. You know, you should be looking at at that lifestyle and trying to adopt it, if if not forever, for a period of time. And that is your path to financial independence. Moving back to the idea of what really defines living above your means, Latoya Irby in the article, How to Successfully Live Within Your Means, highlights the idea of sustainability. And I really like this, the emphasis on sustainability, because I think this is so key when it comes to living within your means. Yeah, it's living above your means is not sustainable. You know, even if you're using credit, time is a great equalizer. At the end of the day, you know, end of the day being when you quit working, when you retire, even when you die, at some point, the math has to work itself out. So at some point over the course of your lifetime, you will have had to spend less than you earned and lived at the bare minimum within your means, you know, not below it, but within your means, the math has to work at the end of the day. Latoya also included how the idea that reckless spending will catch up to you and I like the use of reckless because my question about this is do individuals who spend money in ways that are deemed reckless, do they see this as reckless or even a problem or is, or spending or is one convinced maybe it never will catch up with them? Well, that's a wide open definition. I think the easiest thing would be to say, you know, if you're incurring debt for things that do not go up in value, you're probably spending recklessly. So a house, you borrow money, a house goes up in value. That's called an investment. You spend money on things that go down in value, like consumer electronics, cars. You borrow money for those things, and you've lost money. So it's to me, that that's a, a great definition for reckless spending. In Bob's article, he has a great quote, and it says, until you can begin living beneath your means, you have virtually zero chance of getting out of debt. End quote. So this really highlights the importance of living beneath your means as the key, as the, as the way to get out of debt, as the way to essentially reach financial independence. Well, it's the only way you're going to end up with excess cash to pay down your debt is to, to obviously live to, below your means and spending less than you earn. To me, that's just, that's just straight math. That That's an easy thing to say. The hard part is coming up with the discipline the motivation, the goals, and the aspirations to achieve it. That's the real hard part. And I do want to add on to that, that I think it is easy to try to search for an alternative solution that does not involve ramping down your lifestyle or making changes to your lifestyle that you currently live to kind of wiggle around and, and, and do other things. But at the end of the day, what you have to do it doesn't look that pretty. Well, it's 
when you say ramping your lifestyle, that's the exa- that's the exact solution. You know, cutting out the one-off big purchases, that's not going to move the needle. It's the it's it's ramping down your lifestyle on the day-to-day expenses. You know, the things you pay for monthly, weekly, daily. It is ramping down those things. So your your mortgage payment, your car payment, your uh, your cable package. You know, all those things that. You, it's those things that are going to move the needle. Those are the things that are causing you to live beyond your means. It's not that one-time, you know, vacation or that one-time uh, you bought a television. So long you don't do that on a regular basis. Those one-off purchases, those aren't the things that are going to going to cause you to live beyond your means. It's the, the 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 day-to-day bills. Those are the ones that are going to have the biggest impact. Because you obviously live below your means within your means i mean you have a personal finance podcast you have it figured out but what about all oh oh, without question i don't live within my means i live well below my means and i have for a long time i mean that is that is a without question I, i live well below my means but to some of our listeners out there who might be living above their means and and are trying so hard to make those changes to live below your means can you admit that it, it it might be initially hard to make that transition if you have been living above your means for so long? You just have to want freedom more than anything in the world. Freedom has to be your, and when I say freedom, the freedom to choose is what you want. And you have to want that more than anything. And it's a long-term goal. It's hard to stay motivated for, motivated for, but once you adopt the philosophy, it, it, it's it's easier than you think. Like once you develop the discipline, you develop it, you work at it. It's not, it's not something you just wake up and do. It's something you have to cultivate. And once you get there, it, it is so easy to keep focused and and keep on the rails. Once you've modified your lifestyle. You know, you've surrounded yourself. You've got the right point of reference. You you surround yourself with all the right people, all the right friends and family. Everyone understands who you are. It gets real easy. But making that transition is really, really hard. What if someone says to you, but Trevor, I am only, I'm only in my mid-20s. Financial independence seems far away. That's not my priority right now. What do you have to say to that person? It's easy to look at all the things you don't have and all the things you want, but you you can't. You know what the problem is 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 most people that they when the I this happened to me. You get out of school, you get your first job, and you know you you think you could do this forever, right? It just seems like you know I'll work forever, right? It's 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 not a big deal, but once you've gone to work for twenty or thirty years, you you start to realize that. It's not your life. You know, somebody else is making all the rules, calling all the shots. Somebody else is telling you where you have to be and when you have to be there and how long you have to stay. And you you just, you tire of giving up that that control day after day after day. So if you went and talked to somebody in their mid-40s, it, they, they don't think they can work forever. They, they don't know how long they can do this. and And they keep buying things for short-term gratification rather than thinking long. You know, they're thinking short. They're so stressed out. They're so overworked. 
They're so tired of getting up every Monday morning and going to work that they need some sort of short-term gratification. So, you know, they'll buy a, a new TV or, or maybe a new car or a new boat. And, and that'll kind of make it worth getting up every day and going to work, right? Because I got this boat. Well, this boat gets old and then you need some other piece of excitement. But if, if you stay focused, if you thought you could have your freedom in your late 40s even, I'm I'm going for mid fifties, but if you had that, if somebody, I can guarantee anyone in their twenties, you will tire of it. You you will not be will you not you're not going to be able to do this forever. Go go to work every day. It will get old, and if you think you hate it now, you're going to hate it even more twenty years from now. So you're saying that essentially you have to look past all of the things that you might be able to or want to buy now for the long-term future. How you, easy is that? I mean, you know, I, I remember, I remember when I was younger I just started working and my father was, he, he was always trying to come up with some sort of, uh, start a business idea. And this is before the internet. So starting a business was, was really, you know, more involved and all you, you couldn't just start a blog, you know, you'd have to start a newspaper for instance, you know, or a magazine, but he always had these ideas of, and he had a lot of trades, so a lot of skills, and 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 he was always trying to come up with a, a, a an idea to start a business. And I kept thinking, why why would you want to go through all that? Why don't you just keep working? You know, work for somebody, and you don't have all that stress and all that burden. But it, it's that freedom, that that ability to call your own shots. That's that's what he was seeking, and I didn't get it when I was in my twenties, but I get it now, and I I wish I understood it. I wish he would have you know, pulled me aside and looked me in the eye and say, you will tire of this. This will get old fast. But, you know, if you just spent four years educating yourself, the last thing you're going to think about is, you know, I spent four years and all that time studying and to think I don't want to do this. But it's not the work. It's the freedom that you're going to resent. As I was reading Bob Lodick's article, he he kind of laid out how to get yourself out of debt and some simple words he just he just said that if you if you owe this much and you have to pay off this much and it, just simple math and and that's when it hit me that getting out of debt is definitely simple math but the reason it's it's not math though it never is nobody walks up to the register and buys something and and, and say oh wait a minute i i this is more money than I have. I guess I won't get it. It's always an emotional purchase. It's never, personal finance is rarely a math problem. It's, it's, a, it's a behavioral problem 95% of the time. And, and that's, that is what I was going to add on was that on paper, it looks like a math problem. But in reality, because so many people are in debt, it is far, far from the simple math equation that Bob has in his article and it's it's the complete opposite and I think that is what again it, it, the same with the eating analogy it's just it, majority of people know what they should be eating and how much they should be putting to their body but the reason it doesn't work out again is just everything else that goes along with it discipline exactly you know, all the people who were in financial trouble I guarantee you they passed grade 12 math you know they they pass that. They have the diploma, you know. So, and that's that is all you need to understand if you can afford to buy something. Grade twelve math will cover it. It's a behavioral issue, and people that eat more, you know, or who are, I'm going to say overweight from 
you know, eating disorder, like eating more than they should or eating the wrong foods, you know, everybody knows, you know, pop, the sugar and pop is not good for you and potato chips aren't good for you. It's fighting that, that behavioral monster to get you on the, the track and it's developing the discipline. Motivation, you know, you need to lose weight because you need to fit into a dress to go to a wedding. That's motivation. Then it's going to be discipline that actually achieves the goal. I want to move on to talking about a common myth that comes along with the idea of living, of, of just living within your means and living what happens when you live above your means. And it's the myth of, oh, if only I earned more. So it's when you're blaming the income that you make. You know, it. if you, if you, the answer is always going to be more, you know, more is never the answer. You know, when you, when you look at what you don't have, what's missing from your life, if you're always looking at what you, what you wish you had, you'll never have enough ever. You know, that you, you need to just, we talk about gratitude all the time. You need to appreciate what you have. It is so, so important. And going through periods of deprivation where you deprive yourself of things, that's what builds the strength, you know, and, and once you get past it and you realize, oh, I can get by without this gadget or this new car, you know, I I can survive without it. Once you, you go through, and I'm going to say three to six months of depriving yourself of things, you'll realize that you can live without them. And, and, and that's how you get over that hump. It will feel like deprivation at the beginning, but it that's just to convince yourself. Like, you know, I do this thing where I practice fasting, you know, so that's where you don't eat for a whole day. And it's supposed to help shock your system, or I, I don't even know the technical part, but I go through that, and you think you can't eat for a day. You think, I, I, I would pass out if I didn't eat for a day. But once you actually go for a whole day, 24 hours without eating, and you wake up the next morning, you're still alive. You're stronger because of it. You, you know that, hey, you know, if, if I don't get around to eating because I'm on vacation and I'm not near food or something, I'm not going to die. You become mentally stronger because of it. And so if you can deprive yourself of material things and, and you know, go three months without buying new clothes, you realize that it's not so hard. That's how you develop the discipline is, is going through that pain of change and coming out the other end still okay. That's a fabulous example. I, I really like that. I'm glad you included that. I want to move on to talk the, the last segment of this episode. And the one of two is called, we're going to talk about why to spend less than you earn. And the other is how. So to lead off with why, I mean, again, I have, we have a long list of there's, we have nine things on this list, but there, there, I'm sure there's a million more. And I, I mean, hopefully if you're this far into this episode, you, you are pretty convinced of why to spend less than you earn, but th- we're going to list off some, maybe some, maybe other reasons that you might not initially think of, or that are a little less obvious. 
So we have another article. It's called The Beauty of Living Below Your Means by Ashley J. Brooker from thewallstreetjournal.com. And so recent number number one about why to live below your means. And she says, when your lifestyle isn't dependent on every dollar you earn, you'll be better prepared to handle unexpected setbacks. You know, there's a term I, I call, it's called living living on the edge or near the edge. And that's where you, where you, you call also call it living within your means. So when you spend all the money you earn or when your lifestyle requires all the money you earn, you're living on the edge. Meaning if anything goes wrong, you end up over the edge. So that, even if it's sustainable, it is exhausting to live on the edge, knowing you need every penny to meet all your obligations. Meaning, you know, if anything goes wrong, this whole thing falls apart. The the exhaustion, that even if you could sustain that monetarily, emotionally, I don't think it's sustainable. And you actually brought in the kind of the sub point of that that I wanted to bring up. And from Bob Lodick's article, he talked about it. He talks about a cash cushion. And is, can you speak to that a little bit? Well, we talked about it before. It'd be an emergency fund in, in my terminology. You know, three to six months of expenses, man, you know, non-discretionary expenses saved up in the event of emergency or their job loss or whatever. I mean, that, that's a cash cushion. But um, could a cash cushion not all, also be the amount of money that, and, that just, just enough so you're not living quite on the edge? Like just that, just that little cushion in your bank account. Well, if you're able to build up a cash cushion, at some point you've been living below your means in order to achieve that. So one way of looking at it is if you can build up an emergency fund of three to month, three to six months expenses, it might take you a year to, to build up that emergency fund. By doing that, you've gone through a period of deprivation. You've built the discipline to live below your means. You know, a lot of people, once they've dem- they they just continue with that and they continue to save even more money. So if you if you can build up three to six months of expenses, which might take you a year to do you probably are a pretty disciplined person to achieve that goal alone. And you brought up the idea that not like, living below your means will equal less stress, but there's you'll also sleep better, you'll, you'll work better, and you'll have better relationships too. So I think it extends right across your life. Oh, it, it does. And it'll also change. In order to live below your means, you're probably going to change the people around you. And... The people around you, if you're living beyond your means, the people around you are partially motivating you to live beyond your means. They represent toxic peoples to you. And, you know, so if you change the people around you and you start living below your means, you probably have more in common and you connect better with those people anyway. Point number two is by Bob Luddick and he said if you have enough surplus you will have more control over your life in your future direction so a few things under this is one is career options and that you're not trapped in a job well you know this happened to me when I was younger I I got my first job out of school and I went out and bought a brand new car and uh 
a few months after that, I realized I really hate this job. You know, it was a, a job I just despised and the, the boss was horrible. And I, but I had this car payment all of a sudden. So I, I had to find another job, but that job had to cover that car payment and the rest of my life expenses. So I, I, had, I, I, I wasn't able to find a job I wanted. I had to find a job that had a certain amount of income. And that feeling was horrible because I remember seeing jobs that I thought I would love to work there. I went for the interview, found how much they paid, and I said, oh, I, I, I can't afford to take this job. You know, and to walk away from what looked like a great opportunity, a great career-building opportunity, I wasn't able to pursue because I had financial obligations that I had to address first. And that I, I walked away from two jobs that I, I wish I could have taken would have been great career builders. And they just, I even know looking back, they were great companies to work for. And I had to walk away from them because it was an entry-level position and the pay just wasn't going to cover my bills. What I should have done was sell that car and take that job. I wish, I wish if I could turn back the clock, that's exactly what I would have done. So Ashley in her article also identifies the ability to kind of put into effect another another spouse's if one spouse isn't working kind of use that income earning potential and put into action when you need it and and it, and it just kind of gives you that extra rocket boost exactly when you need it maybe maybe the other spouse is having a slow time at work or was laid off so it kind of gives you more options and Trevor I know that you and your wife went through the same kind of thing can you speak to that if any of our listeners aren't quite aware of the situation you and your wife had yeah, I've told this story before on the podcast. So uh, me and my wife both worked and we had twins. And the cost of eight daycare was, was so much for twins that it didn't make sense for both of us to go back to work. So my wife stayed home to raise the twins. And we redesigned our life to survive on one income. And 20 years later, the kids are gone off. We're pretty much empty nesters now. And we have this, you know, we've obviously lived for the last 20 years on one income. And now my wife is back out to work. And we have, we have like a fire hose of cash coming in now because we have two incomes and, and no child expenses. So it's, it, it, I, I did anticipate this, but I, I didn't think it would be as dramatic as it is. And it, obviously we, we, it's income we don't need to live off of. So we're, we're just, this is how we're achieving financial independence is this income we never needed before and we don't need now that's coming in. So it's, it's a remarkable thing. And it, it was all because we hadn't utilized all of our earning potential to support, to support a lifestyle. We, we just, we were able to do it on one income and now we have two incomes. I absolutely love that because you by default and, and, and you were forced to almost live below your means because you only have that one, one income. And it's almost like for savings, the idea that a, what a mortgage does for a home, it, it kind of is the equivalent. You were just forced to live below your means because of that. Well, what we did when we had to go down to one income, when the twins arrived, is the way we achieved that was ramp down the lifestyle. So we moved to a low cost area we, you know, moved into a smaller house, you know, we, we just drive secondhand cars and we ramped down the lifestyle till we could live off of one income. 
Now, during that period, we we didn't we lived below our means, but not by much. You know, there was a there was a cushion, but not a huge cushion. So, it, but we we had to go th- build that discipline, and, and now it's it's just life, right? It's it's not like we have to make any adjustments. Why why would we change our lives just because we have more income? We were happy before. We're happy now. Would you say though that because necessity is a mother invention, because you were you and your wife are blessed with twins, you had to take action. Do you think it was easier for you and your wife to make those sacrifices, quote unquote sacrifices, um, be, because that was the only option than it is for someone who say maybe doesn't have children, is in their mid twenties and is wondering how they can, they can make changes. Do you think it's easier when you actually have that life or death in this situation, um, circumstance at hand? It's funny how people need a crisis to motivate them to make change. And that's what it happened to us. A crisis arrived and we had to become motivated to make a change. We wouldn't have made that change on our own. Not a chance. And, you know, a lot of people who are stuck in a job they hate and they they get terminated. And it, you talk to these people, it's always the best thing that ever happened to them. You know, they end up finding this other great job and they love it. But they would have never walked away from their old job. And it always takes a crisis to motivate people. The problem with living beyond your means is it's it's a whole bunch of tiny crises that, that never really motivate you enough to make change. You know, you incur debt just a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And it, it's 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 five years later that it's it's become a monumental thing, but it happened so slowly it was never a crisis to motivate you to change. So you're saying it is harder for people, maybe someone my age, to get their get their act together without a real motivation. So so what advice do you have for someone who wants to get their act together but doesn't have maybe any real motivation? Well, if I, if I was if I'm 20, in my 20s, and I go out into the workforce, I, I'm going to really pay attention to the people who are in their 50s. You know, talk to them, get to know them, and, and get to know how they feel about their jobs, you know. And hopefully if you run into someone who's real bitter <laughs> and really tired and, and, and has had enough, and you get to know that person well, you need to know that, you need to know, if you knew in your 20s how you would feel in your 50s, you would live your life completely different. While we're talking about career and career options, another article that we're using for this episode, it is called Nine Reasons to Live Below Your Means by Gretchen. Um, it's from her blog, retiredby40blog.com. Again, everything that we're citing during this episode will be in our show notes. You can go read the full article yourself. All are amazing resources. But in her article, she talks about how you are, if you live below your means, you're able to maybe take on a job you're more passionate about that provides less money or, or less hours, but is more interesting and intrinsically rewarding. You know, a lot of the jobs that that people want to do, like, you know, anything creative, there's no shortage of people who want to do it. So you have a high supply of people willing to do that work. And whenever you increase the supply, the price goes down. So any of these jobs that are sought after, and uh, any, and I'm going to say most artistic jobs, people would, you know, do for free, uh, but would love to get paid to do them. They don't pay well, but like I say, people, you know, they could do it forever. And if you can find something like that, 
And I, I remember, so I, I remember watching this YouTube video of this guy. He was, um, oh, it was a Zach, Zach Brown band. And at the end of one of their shows, the whole band sat on the front of the stage and they took questions. And this one young girl, you know, she has her hand up and he points at her to ask her a question. And she says, you know, what advice should you give to somebody who wants to break into the music industry? And he said, never get a credit card. And I thought that that is just crazy advice. You know, this, this girl wants to know, you know, should she work on her vo- vocals, learn a new instrument? He says, never get a credit card. So if you don't have debt, you can afford to do anything you want. And that, that was his advice. And, that, and, and it turns out that was one of the keys to him being able to pursue music as long as he was able to, is, is he kept his expenses low. So he, he didn't have to rely on income. So it, it, by, by not needing as much money, you, you broaden your career options you know, tenfold. I, my example with my car when I had that first job was a great one because I was searching for income, not not a job. I was searching for money. Now that's a fabulous example, and and definitely really highlights the the importance of being able to do anything. Again, when you like you said, when you don't have debt. So I want to move on to number three, and number three is self confidence, and I think this is really important. Well, when you're living below your means. Uh, you, you know, I see people who are, where I work, living on the edge, or I'm, I'm guessing they're living on the edge or close to the edge. And the thought of losing their job is, you know, that when they make a mistake at work, it's catastrophic because if they lose this income, they, they, they lose a lot. But if you're living well below your means, I always say somebody who's got a minimum wage job, they, they have the least amount of stress assuming they, they can afford that lifestyle because you can always replace a minimum wage job with another minimum wage job. I mean, that's what they call it, minimum wage. You're not going to get paid any less than that. So, but when you, if you're making, you know, six-figure income and you lose that job, trying to find another six-figure income, it's more challenging. It's, it's harder. So you're, you're going to appear less confident, you know, in, in your work because the the consequence of making a mistake and possibly losing your job, it becomes catastrophic, almost, you know, fatal if if you don't, if you can't replace that income and you need it. And I think self-confidence could also extend to being self-confident in your decision to live below your means when others may not. And when I say others, maybe well, majority, it, depending on your environment. It t- okay, so from that perspective, it takes a lot of self-confidence to, you know, to to not have people pass judgment on you because you don't appear to, you know, you you, you don't appear to be wealthy, even if you are. I mean that that that's a that also takes self-confidence in in, in believing on what you're doing in a bigger picture. So yeah, I, I would agree with that as well. Because at the end of the day, you are the only one who knows your financial goals and your financial priorities. So I, I think it, it's 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 easy to let other people pass judgment. But I think if, I don't know, I think if you keep that in mind that, no, you know what, no one knows exactly what my financial situation is and, and what my goals are. I, I think that would, that helps when you, when you stay focused. So number four is brighter financial outlook and Gretchen's uses this to to really emphasize 
the power to change your financial outlook and the, the power to, to look at your financial situation in a different light because you can. Well, if you live below your means, you, you have nothing but options, right? It's you, you have the ability to, to, to weather the peaks and valleys of a financial storm. So it, it, it definitely can, you know, when, when a financial storm or a recession hits and you're living well below your means, I mean, it's not going to look as dark and gloomy to you as it would to somebody else. Number five is set an example. And I really, really like this point because I, I, I think we're all trying to achieve the same thing to live below our means. So if you can live below your means and set an example for your children or your coworkers, or your friends, I, I think that's great. Well, it, you know, your kids learn more from not what you tell them and teach them, but from what you do. You know, they, your actions have a far greater impact on your kids than, than any, you know, life lesson you sit down and tell them. They, they're, from when they're, you know, real small, they're observing your every action. You don't even know it, but they're, they're trying to mimic you. And I mean, even as teenagers, when they're in a rebellious state of mind, they're still observing what you're doing. And if you are living the high life and, and, and running, racking up debt, and I mean, that's the, the, that's going to be their new normal, right? That's going to be what they are going to emulate. Whereas if you're always sort of living a very, and again, they don't have to know where the finance is behind it, but they, you know, your, your kids will know if you're stressed out and they, if it's, if you're always talking about money and bills, they'll know why you're stressed out. So by setting an example for your, your kids, you you know, by living it and, and walking the walk, you'll be doing your, your, your kids a world of good. It's funny you say that because growing up, my parents, they, we, we, we did everything we, we wanted. They, they gave us so much and we were never denied an opportunity, but at the same time, in the same breath, in our minds, not that money was tight, but there wasn't pools of money to spare. And, And I think that, I think that was good to know in that, my parents were living when we were children they were living very very modestly and I think that's important to 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 really make them aware of and I know I know you kind of were the same way with your children kind of a more open table about your finances and we've done a whole episode on that but you would agree that that is important yeah you you need to you can't be saying one thing and doing the opposite because the message your your children are going to get is the opposite of you know if you're saying one thing and you're actually doing something different if you're saying you know save your money and, and you know and live modestly and you're driving a a brand new car every year you know you're you're kind of not practicing what you preach and that last point was from another article by Tracy from penny pennypensionmom.com eight reasons why you need to live beneath your means so we're, there's a, quite a bit of articles, but again, it, they'll all be in the show notes. So number six is pride in ownership. And this point is from Gretchen. And I really like this point. And I wanted to ask you, Trevor, do you feel different about your car and your house now that you completely own them? And, and, and there, there's no debt on them. It's just you owning as a sole owner. Yeah, you know, this sounds crazy and it almost sounds hokey, but the grass feels different. 
when you walk on it, when you don't have a mortgage. It, it is just the, the burden that you don't carry is just, it is phenomenal when you don't owe anybody anything and, and you own everything outright. You, you just, you sleep better. You, you look at things completely different. I, I, I don't even know here on a podcast, I say, I can't put it into words. I don't even know how to put it into words. And in although that's what we're trying to do on this podcast, it is a, a, a feeling of peace, I guess, just comes over you, just peacefulness. Number seven is become a natural saver. And and this is one of the reasons why you should spend less than you earn because it will make you a natural saver, which is always a good thing. Well, you know, sometimes I'll get in, in spurs where, you know, I'll buy some a new article of clothing and I get excited and I'll maybe the next weekend I'll go buy a new pair of shoes, you know, I, and I'll get into this. And it, it almost becomes habit forming, you know, to, to go out and spend money. Well, the opposite is true. You can become, uh, ha- saving can become habitual. When, you know, once you see, you know, $1,000 in your bank account, you almost don't want to spend it. You want to see it grow to be $2,000. So it almost becomes uh, habit forming to, to just keep saving that money. So being a saver, and I've talked about this before, there's people who are natural savers and people who are natural spenders. I'm a natural spender. And I have this podcast about, you know, personal finance. I've crossed the threshold. I, so it doesn't come easy to me. I work at it constantly. My wife is a natural saver. So she doesn't have to work at it. It just comes to her naturally. So I have to work at it, but I'm here to tell you it can be done. I, I've done it. When you bring up the example of not spending and not spending becomes a habit, that reminds me of our Frugality February challenge where we didn't buy coffee for a whole month. That has seriously stuck with me. I, I swear, I can count on both my hands how many cups of coffee I have bought since that challenge just because it came such a, a routine not to buy coffee. Well, it, once you prove that you don't need it, it becomes real easy to to tell yourself you don't need it. You know, if you've actually gone through the period of deprivation, the pain of not getting, you know, breaking that habit, yeah, it becomes easy. So almost to our listeners, I mean, it, even just to start small with, because it's behaviorally changed the, the idea of living below your means. If you almost start with something smaller like that and prove to yourself that, you're okay without coffee, maybe it will it really instill in you that you're okay with without everything else. The second most point is to give. And to give really extends to the to give to your children, maybe in the form of a post-secondary education or, or give to a charity or a cause that you're passionate about. So when you have when you're spending less than you earn, you have more money for other things that might also bring value to your life. Yeah, you can't underestimate the the power of giving and how it makes you feel. I know anytime I've made a donation or been involved in a any charity, you, you never, you know, you you always underestimate the feeling you're going to get from that. And it it it's it's it it seems like you're just giving money away, but when you actually in immerse yourself in the organization and that you're you're contributing to, and you see the difference it's making, it's easy to do to to be motivated to do that. And last but not least in our list of why spend less than you earn, number nine is to just reach your goals and to save for the future. Well, and this is, you know, there's another podcast I listen to is called Choose FI. And that FI stands for Financial Independence. And 
they said an th- interesting thing on that podcast. They said they're saving up for the ultimate luxury item, a money-making machine that will pay them in perpetuity uh, 4% a year. And what they were saying is they're saving up to, to invest their money so it will pay them so they don't have to work. And But, but them, them describing as they're saving up for the ultimate luxury item, a, a money-making machine, obviously an investment that's going to pay them so they don't have to work. And if you can, I mean, that, you know, rather than saying I'm depriving myself so I can retire early, you can say you're saving up for a luxury item. I mean, that that whatever motivates you, to, you know, we talk about documenting goals. I, I just thought that was an interesting spin on, on, on a motive, what motivated that person. But you just need, you need documented goals with, and they need to be broken into action items. We've talked about this before. It's it's the only way to to, to stay focused is to have goals, and be you know think be looking into the future with these goals. In closing, to sum up everything that we have said during this episode, a great quote from Ashley J. Brooker is quote Pick a standard of living and stick to it, no matter how much your wage grows. End quote. And I love this because it really does sum up the the fundamental underpinnings of living beneath your means. That is it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure to check out our Instagram page and our Facebook page. It's at Simple Money Solutions. All these articles will be in our show notes and we look forward to having you with us next week. Until next week, keep it simple. Simple.